welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we will be in Hosea chapter 3 today, if you would like to go ahead and turn there, Hosea chapter 3. And that video that we watched earlier is our introduction video. Today is World Missions Day. And if you don't know what that means, this is a day where churches all over the world are taking a day to put an extra emphasis on missions and take an extra offering for our missionaries who are spreading the gospel across the world. Now, in your uh, bulletin this morning, you will have found an envelope that says, Broke on it and at the bottom it will says give to the Jerry Kid Missions offering and that's what we call this special offering every year is the Jerry Kid Missions offering there's just one problem I've never uh, I've never heard of Jerry Kid maybe I should have but I had to go look him up this week and I wanted to share um, his story with you his pictures coming up behind us in the early 1970s Jerry Kid felt like he was called to missions that he was called to take the message of Jesus Christ and his love and spread it across the world and so he began training and preparing to go on the mission field somewhere. He went to Bible college at this time in order to communicate from the deep um, from the deep bush of the jungles. He knew that he would have to get his ham radio operator's license. He also took pilot license to be able to fly and he began to go around asking churches for donations both to get him and his family to the mission field and to possibly buy an airplane where they could fly to people that were previously unreached. After lots of prayer he felt called to Bolivia and if you don't know where that is, that's in South America about 4,000 miles away, not too far from Ecuador and Peru where our Operation Christmas Child boxes went this year. Now, he went about this a way differently than I would have. He, he wanted to take his family down there. He wanted to move down there as a permanent residence, as a mission. So he got a box truck, which is like a U-Haul truck. He hooked a camper behind it for his family. He hooked another camper behind that for other missionaries that were already there. And he took off driving to South America, 4,000 miles in a box truck carrying two different campers. Now, that's, that's crazy enough by itself if you think about driving 4,000 miles. But he's driving 4,000 miles over about 10 different countries. And can you imagine the scene at a border crossing? Like here comes this guy in a U-Haul truck and he's got two campers behind it and they stop him like, where are you going? To tell people about Jesus. Like, like he's getting stopped everywhere. Everybody wants to know who this crazy guy is. So every time he crosses a border, him and his family are getting held up. This trip ends up taking him three months just of travel time, including 33 days stuck on a ferry outside the Panama Canal because of a gas shortage. And if you ask why would somebody do this to themselves and why would they do this to their families? Like, you've got to be a lunatic to take off across the world, literally, in a truck with two campers. Why would Jerry Kidd or why would anybody like him do this? And the reason is, is they have a heart for the broken, for people whose sin has separated them from Jesus Christ, for people who need to hear the message that only Jesus saves. And because of that heart, he goes in pursuit of the broken to deliver this message. And so as we talk about World Missions Day today and we talk about our mission, missionaries, the question I want you to ask yourself is, why would I support our missionaries? Why would I pray for them? Why would I give of the money that, that I uh, earned? Why would I support them? And I think this is the answer. I think that you and I, if we call ourselves Christ followers, should have that same heart to pursue the broken and the lost and the dirty. 
See, if we call ourselves Christians, we're calling ourselves Christ followers. If we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves Christ-like. It means we have the heart of Christ. And what that simply means to have the heart of Christ is to pursue and to, and to cherish what Jesus cherishes, to find precious what Jesus finds precious. And so we know that Jesus finds the broken precious. And so we pursue the broken here at Ramsey Heights. I, I don't know if you know why this church is here in this exact location. I, I love you all. It is not to make your drive to church easier. Our church exists in this place because we are pursuing the broken and the lost in Southside, in Clearview, Riverview, Deshaies, in Batesville, anywhere, anywhere we can find somebody who needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We pursue them in our community. But we also pursue the lost and the broken worldwide by supporting the men and women who take their families across the seas to go share this message. And we support them financially. You've heard me say this before and you'll hear me say it a hundred more times because I want it to be a core of who we are. When you drop money in our offering plate, immediately we send a percentage of that to our missionaries, both missionaries at the state level who are planting churches in Arkansas right now, missionaries who are planting churches and seeking the lost in states out west, and missionaries who go to 71 different countries across the world. That's where our money goes. And today what I want to ask us to do is, would we be willing to give just a little bit extra? Would we be willing to put just a little bit more extra money in the hands of the people who are delivering the gospel to the lost across the world? That's what that envelope in your bulletin is for. It's, it's not for you to put your offering in there, but for you to possibly put a little extra. And as you think about that, I just want you to think about what is the actual cost of giving extra today for you? Everybody's in a different position, and I don't, I'm not going to demand a number, but what, what's the cost of giving extra for you? I can tell you without a doubt, for most of you, this is not going to change your lifestyle. You may watch a few numbers in your bank account change, but, but you, you're not going to have some lifestyle change because you chose to give a little bit extra to missionaries. Some of us, myself included, we could just choose. What, what if I ate out one less time per week for this month and I took that money that I would spend taking my family to go out and eat? What if I, what if I gave up one time a week of eating out and put that money and gave it to the missionaries spreading the message of the broken across the world? What if we cut down? Oh, my wife's going to kill me. What if we cut down on the spring decorations? I'm kidding. My wife doesn't do that very much. What, what if we cut down on that trip we were going to take this summer? And so let's just take one less night and give that money that we'd spend on hotel and food to missions. What, what does it cost us? And I think what we'll find is that we will find that the cost for us is very, very little to give just a little bit extra as a church to send off to missionaries. And the reason I want us to look at this is I want us as a church to have the heart of Christ. And you're sitting there asking because now, now the pastor has started to get into your wallets a little bit and you're like, is that really what God wants? Does God really want me to give and sacrifice to pursue the broken? Is that really what I'm being called to this morning? And I'll tell you what, I'm not even going to answer. I'm not going to try to convince you to do anything. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to get in the word of God. I want to seek out the heart of God. And I want you to make your own decision. The only thing that I ask of you this morning is as you're sitting here, will you ask yourself, does my heart match what God's heart is? That's the only thing I want you to do this morning. Does my heart match what God's heart is? We'll be continuing in Hosea chapter 3. We started several weeks ago a series called Dirty in Hosea. We will be finishing this today. This is our fifth Sunday in that series. And just a little recap of it in case you've missed it. The book of Hosea is the story of a prophet. And all that means is a man uh, 
that is sent by God to God's people with a message. Now, Hosea's message was a little bit different than the rest of the prophets. God told him, I want you to live an example of what it is like for me, God, to love these dirty, broken, sinning people and what it is like for me to have a broken heart over their sin. And so he tells Hosea, what I want you to do is go marry a prostitute. That will be a picture of how much I love my people versus the kind of people that I love and the way that they reject me. Now for you and I, we are not Israel. So the book of Hosea is not written about us, but the book of Hosea is written to us. And so we can look into the book of Hosea, we can look into a mirror and we can say, how does this connect to us? And it shows me a picture of my sin. And so Hosea goes and marries a woman named Gomer. And everybody, everybody knows how this is going to end, the story of Hosea marrying Gomer. Like he goes to, it's a hard subject. He goes to a house of ill repute, let's put it that way. And, and he picks this girl, Gomer, and he says, hey, come with me, please. Uh, uh, put some clothes on first. No, not those clothes. Let's, let's find something appropriate. No, those aren't appropriate either. If we could like cover, you know, oh, that's the best you've got. Okay. All right. And then he takes her and she's like, where are we going? He's like, well, God told me to marry you. We're, we're going to get married. So we're going to go down here and we're going to find a pastor and he's going to perform the wedding and you're going to be my wife. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm sure it's going to work out. Okay. And so they go and get married and they go on the honeymoon and, and Hosea, the husband is all excited about this. But for Gomer, it's, it's just another Tuesday night at work for her. Everybody in this room knows how that's going to end. And it's not going to end with happily ever after. It's going to end with broken heart. It's going to end with cheating. It's going, to, it's going to end with old habits coming back. And God says, this is a picture of what it's like when I pursue my people and they sin against me and they rebel against me. As we get to chapter three, it doesn't give us all the details, but what we found is the relationship between Hosea and Gomer is broken. Just as we expected, she has cheated and went back to her old lifestyle. And so Hosea has now done this thing that God has called him to. Okay, God, I represented you to the world. I loved people that should not have been loved and they rejected me the way that we have rejected you, God. What's next? What's next for Hosea? And in that, we're gonna find out what's next for God after he's been cheated on and rejected. If you've got your Bibles, this is chapter three. We're gonna read verse one. Please keep your Bibles open. We'll be coming back to this all through the sermon, but just one verse to start off with. Then said the Lord unto me, this is Hosea. So then said the Lord unto Hosea, go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who took to other gods and who loved flagons of wine. So here we have Hosea and God are having a conversation and God gives Hosea this command. Hey, go back to Gomer. And Hosea's like, okay, Lord, all right, I'm gonna, wait a second, wait a second. Me go back to her? She left me. She cheated on me. God, you want me to go back to her? And God's, God's like, yeah, I, I know. Go, go pursue your wife. Okay, I'll, I'll go pursue my wife. Wait a second. You said, you said she was loved by somebody else? That's present tense. You mean she is still in this relationship? She's not sitting around crying, waiting for me to come rescue her? She's not even begging me to come back? You want me to go find her while she's still doing these things? And, and God's like, yes, I, I, want you, I want you to go pursue your wife. Why? God, why? Because this is how I love my people. This is how I love the broken and the unworthy of me. 
And this is a picture of how God pursues me and you. The same way that Hosea went and pursued Gomer, who didn't deserve to be pursued. She didn't deserve a second or a third or 18th chance. But God said, go anyway, because this is an expression of how I chase people who are not worthy of me. So this is the picture of maybe how this played out. Have you, have you ever thought of what this would look like for Hosea? Hosea has to go pursue his wife. He doesn't know where she's at. So he starts at the place that he found her and he asks around and nobody knows where Gomer's at. He has to go to the corners where his wife used to work and wait for men. Have you guys seen Gomer? I'm looking for her. And he gets a lead and somebody says, try, try this house across town. And so Hosea goes across town and, and he knocks on the door and, and the guy opens and it's just some regular looking dude. He said, hey, I, I was told uh, Gomer was here. And the guy says, who's Gomer? Gomer's my wife. The dude starts laughing. Your wife's not here. I'm the only person here. Well, well, me and this girl that I picked up last night, and she told me that, hey, if, she, if I would bring her home and give her some food and a place to stay, some things would happen. Uh, that's not your wife. And Jose goes, that's her. That's my wife. I, I would like to talk to her, please. And so the guy kind of kind of bewildered, opens the door, and he points him back towards the, the bedroom, and Jose has to walk through the house. And he walks back to the bedroom where Gomer is sleeping. And he has to walk through the room that still has, still has clothes and undergarments across the floor, giving, giving evidence to what this man was doing with his wife last night. And he sits down on the bed next to her. And he puts his hand on her shoulder and tears start to run down his face. His hand's on a bare shoulder. His wife is still naked in another man's bed. And what he says to her is, Gomer, I love you. I forgive you for this. You can come home. We can, we can live like this never happened. I want you back. And how does Gomer respond? You want me back? I like where I'm at, Hosea. I don't need you. I don't need you to rescue me. Don't come riding in here like there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my lifestyle. And Hosea just has to, has to sit there and he's like, Gomer, come, come back to me. I love you that much. Everything else doesn't matter. And if you're like me, you're team Hosea. Like, I want to bust up into the scene being like, no, 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 Jose, don't beg her to come back. You come with me. She is not worthy of you. She doesn't deserve you. She cheated on you and you're here begging her. Man, she should be begging you to take her back. But it's a good thing I'm not God. Because you know what God said? He said, Hosea, go pursue Gomer because I pursue dirty, broken, unworthy people. Our first take-home truth, if you're taking your notes there, is God pursues the broken, the dirty, and the unworthy. And if that story made you uncomfortable, like, Brian, that, couldn't we have sanitized that a little bit? That, that was kind of dirty. Like, we're not going to sanitize the scripture. When God tells Hosea, go find your wife, the prostitute, who is still doing this thing, that's what it looks like. And the reason it is so important for us to dive into that is because that is us. 
If that story is offensive to you that Hosea would chase his wife into another man's bedroom to retrieve her, God's grace is offensive to you. Because no matter what we think of Hosea and Gomer, no matter how we would say or how bad we would say Gomer is for that, there is no comparison to how offensive our sin is to God. It's not even close. If that story was offensive to you, what you have done to God in your sin is not even close. And what is so radical about the message of Jesus Christ is he pursues us just like Hosea did Gomer. I love you. I forgive you. We can live like this never happened. Just come back to me. So God pursues us in our sin and he finds us asleep in a bed of filth. You've heard the old saying, you made your bed and I sleep in it. That's where we're at. We're sleeping in the beds of our sins. And he comes in and he walks past the evidence of all the times that we rejected him. And he comes and he sits down beside us and he puts his hand on our shoulder and he says, come back to me. And how do we respond when God begins to pursue us? When we feel that tightness, when we feel that hurt, when we know that we are a sinner before God, how do we, how do we respond? We yell, hey, I don't need rescue. I don't need rescue. And we are so unworthy of God's love. That's what God put the story in the Bible for, is give yourself a picture of what you look like, what I look like. And in case you're sitting in here and you're thinking, well, Brian, I'm not that bad. I'm not unworthy of God. Yes, you are, and you know it. Because I can prove it to you. What's the one secret that you won't tell anybody, that you wouldn't admit to anybody? That one. The one that just popped into your head, that thing that you're scared somebody will find out about you, that you didn't even want to think about because you're scared somebody might read your mind because of it. That one thing you won't admit. What is it? Is it the way that you think about people? Is it the sex in your past? Is it the way that you've abused people in the past? Why do you hide that secret so deeply? Why won't you stand up here? I'll give you a microphone if you want to come up here and say, the worst thing I ever did is this. Why won't we do that? Why won't we touch that? What failure is that? The reason why you won't say that in public is because you're scared it will affect your relationships with others. Because if they can see the real you, you know you're not worthy of their love. And with Jesus Christ, when he looks at us, he sees it all. He sees the dirtiness. He sees the broken. He sees the unworthiness of us. And he says, I know what you've done. I know how bad it was. Your relationship is broken with me, but I can heal and forgive you for that. See, your unworthiness doesn't matter because your unworthiness is not any comparison to the amount of love that he has. If you could take a scale and you could put all the bad things that you did on one side and you could put the weight of God's love on the other one, it would not be a scale anymore. It would be a catapult because it would launch. The weight of God is so, the weight of the love of God is so heavy. He loves you so much. It's not even a comparison to how bad you and I have been. His love will win every time. Just as Hosea pursues Gomer. Let's continue reading the story. Here's verse two. Hosea speaking, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half a homer of barley. Keep your Bibles open. We're coming back. It's like the story just kind of keeps getting worse, doesn't it? First, Hosea is forced to the humiliation of pursuing his wife while she's still cheating on him. And now he has to pay for her to get her back. Like she should be paying him, not the other way around. Why did Hosea have to purchase her back? Let me explain it in, in modern terms. 
several years ago, about five years ago, Jessica and I had the blessing of getting to go to Mexico on a mission trip. And one of the uh, missionaries that we stayed there when they weren't hosting teams, she, she had a ministry within Juarez, right across the border from El Paso. She had a ministry to the prostitutes of that city. And she would go to them and she would provide for their needs. She would make sure they had food, make sure that they had clothes and things of that nature. And she would just pour love into them. And what you need to know about these girls is, is no girl grows up hoping that's their future. No girl has ever written on an assignment when they're, what do I want to be when I grow up? I hope I get abused by hundreds or thousands of men. See, these girls are cartel property. Some of them, their parents were in debt and say so they sold them to the cartel to, to pay off their debt. Uh, some of these girls were runaways that were baited. Many of them were flat kidnapped off the streets. You've seen it in movies. A van pulls up and a person disappears. That's the truth of what's happening in that city. Over the last 10 years, 1,500 girls have just vanished to be used for this purpose. And this missionary, Amanda, she goes to them and she provides for them clothes and she provides for their health needs because what the world has told them is you are property used for some man. That's who you are. That's your value. That's all that you matter. And she goes for them and she says, let me take care of your hunger needs. Let me take care of your clothing needs. Let me make sure that you're safe and healthy. You know why? Because your value is not in what you're doing here. Your value is in Jesus Christ who loves you. And there's this process where she works in them until she can get them to believe that they have value, that they're not just destined for this life, that they can get out of this. But then comes the bigger problem. When she convinces one of these girls to get out of prostitution, they spend the rest of their life in hiding. Because these girls can't just walk up to the drug cartel and say, hey, yeah, that thing I've been doing, I'm done with that. They're property to the cartel, and the cartel will not release them. And so these girls run away all across Mexico, because if they're ever found, they will be treated like a runaway animal. And this is the situation in the Bible Gomer was in. We don't know how she got there, it doesn't say. But she was in a position where she wasn't just free to leave the situation that she was in. She owed somebody money or somebody had bought her. And so Hosea, in order for him to get her back, he had to buy her out. He had to go to some man and say, I want to buy my wife back from you. This isn't who she is. She's my wife and I want her back. What's the cost? And it gives a little bit of uh, details there. We don't have time to unpack all that. Those numbers have meanings. But I did the math on that just to make sure that, that I kind of knew what the weight of this was. And the math on that equals out right around $4,000 that Jose would have paid in our money today here in America. Now, listen, there's not a person in this room. Some of you can write a $4,000 check. Nobody in this room writes a $4,000 check without taking a couple of deep breaths before and after and it's stinging a little bit. If you can write $4,000 and it doesn't sting, there's an envelope in your bulletin today. Please write that check. We would love for you to do that. Nobody does that here. And listen, well, the point I want to make about this is you and I are the richest people in the world. The poorest person in this, world, in this room lives better than 75 to 80% of the world does. We are rich. $4,000 to us, if it hurts us, imagine what it costs in a place like Juarez, Mexico. Imagine if you, if you read that figure out in a, in a church in Juarez, Mexico and said, hey, it's going to cost $4,000 to free this woman. I went and did some math on that too just to see where we were at. And uh, I just wanted to know about how much do people make in Juarez just so we can kind of understand like how much money this would be to somebody who doesn't live the, the life of luxury and wealth that we do. 
You know what minimum wage in Juarez is? $3.70. Now let me back up because I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying and not what you think I'm saying. I think what you heard is the minimum wage in Juarez is $3.70 an hour. And no, no, minimum wage in Juarez, Mexico is $3.70 a day. And by those figures, if we lived in a country like this, this is four years of income, pre-tax, pre-bills. Four years of everything that you would make to purchase her back. Understand, the cost of what is talked about in Hosea is a very, very, very high cost. And so our next take-home truth from the book of Hosea here is pursuing the broken, the dirty, and the unworthy has a cost. It has a cost. I kind of struggled with which way to go with this. I think, I think there's two different convictions that we need to, need to address from this verse. And which one applies to you will, will just be kind of like where you're at in your faith. So when we talk about this cost, the first conviction I want us to look at is that this tells us how much and how costly and the weight of our unworthiness and, and how much the freedom from sin is associated with cost. Hosea had to pay for the unworthy. Hosea had to pay for someone who did not deserve to come back to him. She didn't deserve to live in his front yard under a tree. But Hosea pursues her. And then he purchases her. And this is a picture of how God pursues us. It's a picture of me and God when we said there is a cost associated with buying me out of my sin. Because what the Bible says is the wages of sin is death. That means that what you purchase with your sin is death. And there is no escaping that. There's no way out. There's no bargaining. There's no loans. There's no debt forgiveness. Your sin will result in death. That's it. No ands if or buts. And so consequently, the amount of money it costs to rescue you from your sin is death. And Jesus Christ comes to this earth and he finds us in our bed of filth with the evidence of our rejections on him. And he goes, I want them back. What's the cost? Uh, death, and by the way, death in this instance is separation from God. That, that's what it costs. It costs separation from God. It costs death, Jesus. And he looks at you. Okay, I'll do it. That's why we worship him because, because he loves us enough to rescue. He went to the cross and he died where he was separated from God. The Bible says that God the Father turned his back on Jesus and Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? He did not deserve death because he was perfect. And yet God turned his back on, on Jesus and put all of the sin on the world of the world on him. And for three days he laid in a grave but on that third day of his own power, he walked out. You know why he walked out? Because he was proving to you and me, your death cannot conquer me. I, I will conquer your death. And we may be sitting here today, and maybe you've heard that a thousand times, and maybe that hits you differently, but what we need to understand is the high price of his pursuit for us. A cost has been paid for my salvation and for your salvation. Really, the only thing we have to do is choose to be rescued. 
one of my favorite movies it's, it's an old one so if you go home and like Netflix this you're gonna think I'm crazy but it's like from the 1930s it's called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers has anybody ever seen that one? Oh yes I, I see some people like I got some holy hands on Seven Brides for Seven Brothers there right? so Seven Brides for Seven Brothers let me tell you what happens there's this family of seven brothers and they, they're mountain men and they live up in the mountains and they, they everything that you can think of of men without a woman around like that's what these guys are like they eat with their feet you know they, they don't actually ever wash dishes they're, they're all rough and tumble they're all hairy they never take baths they fight all the time and the older brother goes into town and he gets married and he brings this woman back to this cabin full of seven boys and they're all like whoa she's pretty and, and so she starts to tame this group of seven brothers and starts to work with them and goes hey if you guys are ever going to like you know be actual people you're going to have to eat like people she teaches them how to pray before they eat she starts you know they're reaching in and grabbing things with their hands she slapped them with spoons and she and she cleans them up they shave they get new clothes she teaches them how to act she teaches them how to dress that way they can go to town and guess what chase girls oh I'm sorry I should say they can go to town and court girls I guess that's how you said it back there and, and so the whole point of this movie is these boys are now out of the mountains and they're all cleaned up and shaved up and they're going and they're, and they're, and they're pursuing courting these girls and all these girls are like ooh new boys right and there's competition for these girls and so they kind of all have their like little sweetheart that they like you know it's all just, just very basic dating courting type stuff and they're all up in the cabin a few days later and they're all lonely and they start reading history about how invading manly man armies would bust into a nation and would carry the women away and make wives out of them. And in these mountain man's heads, they go, that's what we're going to do. And so they make this grand plan. They sneak down into town and they all go find their girls and they kidnap them. It's more romantic than it sounds. They kidnap them. And their plan was, we're going to kidnap these girls. We're going to kidnap the preacher. We're going to bring them back to the cabin. We're going to get snowed in. He's going to marry us. We'll have wives. Bada bing, bada boom. Men, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> so they do this. And they realize when they get back to the cabin, we forgot the preacher. We can't get married. And so the men spend the winter snowed in in the barn. The husbands, and the, or not the husbands, the fathers and the brothers can't come rescue the girls because they're snowed in up in this cabin. The girls stay in the cabin. The boys stay in the barn. But over the wintertime, they start to fall in love. And at the end of the movie, the, the way that it ends is all of the boys realize we messed up. You can't just ride into town and carry off women and expect them to love you. We got to take them back to their dads. We got to take them back to their brothers. We got to take them back and possibly compete with other men for their affection, but we're going to take them back. It's the last scene in the movie is these boys are chasing the girls and they're trying to catch them to put them in the wagon to take them home. And guess what the girls are doing? They're screaming, I'm not going back. I'm staying here. I'm staying here. And it's right at the time that these guys have women over their shoulders and they're carrying them around and the women are screaming that that's when the dads and the brothers show up. And all the dads and the brothers, they come to the rescue of the girls and they're like, hey, we're here. And all the girls are just crying and sobbing. Like, what's wrong? They said, we love them. We don't, we don't want to go home. They chose not to be rescued. And on a level, we may be sitting here today and, and that's where we've ended up with our sin. That Jesus Christ came here to rescue me. He pursued me because he loved me. And he comes to me and he says, Brian, I love you. And I'm over here and I'm like, I'm not going with you. I love my sin. I don't want to be rescued. And in truth, everybody goes through that struggle. And if you look at Gomer's role in this entire story, what was Gomer's only role? All she had to do was say, okay, I accept your rescue. 
And if you've been sitting here and you've been fighting that for weeks or months, like how do I get saved? Do I want this? All, all it really means, all it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ is to say, okay, I accept your rescue. I give up my love for sin to go with you. So if you're here today and, and that, that's you, I just want to tell you today is the day to choose God. Now, the other way I wanted to address this verse is for those of us who are Christians. I think we need a reminder all the time of what the price Jesus Christ paid for me is. We need to go back and we need to live that. But, but here's what I wanted us to look at as I, this was opening up to me. Number one, or number two here, is if you claim his heart, you claim his wants, which means you pursue what he pursues. If Jesus Christ can come here to lay down his life and give his blood to pursue the unworthy, we can too. And there is a cost to pursuing the broken, the dirty, and the unworthy. Unfortunately, in our world, there's a practical cost to that. There's a financial cost to that. And I love the way that God talks to Hosea back in our chapter. God tells him, he says, go again and love a woman who is an adulterous woman. He says, love. And I love when God uses that word when he says to love because we think of love in our American culture as like this great emotion, right? Like, oh, I'm so in love. It's Valentine's Day. I'm getting married. Like I have all of this, you know, the butterflies inside of me. But that's not what love is. Love is an action because love is commanded and you can't command emotions. And if you don't believe me, I've got an experiment for you. Today, I'm going to allow you, today and today only, I give you permission to do this. After today, I don't want to hear about what this causes. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and whoever you live with, if it's your spouse, if it's your brothers, your sisters, whoever, and I want you to go home and I want you to poke the bear. And what I mean about that is you know that person and you know the one thing that will drive them mad. And I want you to do that. Just make them angry. And when they've got steam coming to their ear, out of their ears and their face is all red and they're foaming at the mouth, I want you to look them dead in the face and go, now stop being mad. <laughs> and when that doesn't work, y'all schedule an appoint, appointment with me for marriage counseling and we'll get that worked out for y'all. Like, like that's not going to work. You cannot command emotion. So when God commands love, he commands action. You and I are commanded to action. If we are going to have the heart of God, we have to be a person of action with that heart. If we're going to love like God, we have to be a person of action like God loves with action. And so today we're asking for that extra little bit of money. I don't, I'm not going to tell you how much. I'm not going to set a goal for you. We're just asking you to ask God, how much should I give? How much should I put in that envelope that was in my bulletin that I forgot? But maybe for you, that's not what God's calling you to do. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we need your money. Maybe God's telling you, hey, I don't, I don't want your money in Africa. I want you in Africa. And some of you are getting really ready to write a check real quick after hearing that. Maybe God's not saying, I want a one-time offering. Maybe God is saying to you that I want a monthly offering for you. Maybe God may just be saying, hey, you, don't, you can't do this right now, and I understand. Maybe God's saying, hey, can, can you give offerings of prayer every night for our missionaries across the world? Can you pray for their safety and, and for them to be successful? I won't tell you what that looks like, but, but I can tell you that somewhere right now there is a missionary who has an opportunity to reach more broken and unworthy people. You know what they're doing on Sunday morning? Is they're praying for God to send them the resources. They're praying for God to send them the ability to go chase different people. And I have to think that our money, whatever we collect, whatever we give, could be the answer to that prayer. 
I think everybody in this room right now knows what's going on in Ukraine today, correct? Like, like we know what's going on in Ukraine. And this week we got an update from our BMA missionaries in Ukraine. They, uh, they came stateside. They are home and safe. However, the churches that they planted, that they support, these missionaries are paid out of the very funds we're asking you to give to today. And they said, we've, we've been in contact with our churches that we're supporting and that we're helping. He said, and this is what our churches are doing in Ukraine right now. There's war and people are running. And our people are providing food and water and shelter and opening up their homes to the disabled, the elderly, and the displaced during the war. Now, any way you cut that, that is people doing God's work. But any way that you cut that, those things cost money. And so when those people come there and say, why in the midst of war, when you should be taking care of yourself, are you taking care of me? You know what our people have the opportunity to say? Because my God thinks you're to die for. And if he finds that much value in you, I do too. And there's opportunities to spread the gospel, but it comes at a cost. Let's continue reading. I know we're running out of time. We're getting to the end here. Verse three, this is Hosea speaking. And I said unto her, unto Gomer, thou shalt abide with me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. So Hosea here, he goes and he purchases Gomer and he's taking her home and he lays out the rules of our relationship. And, and the way that that lays out in the Bible there, it kind of sounds harsh. It's like, it almost sounds like he's like, woman, you're going to straighten up. Hosea didn't say that because this represents God's love. And that's not the way God speaks to us. Now, instead of, instead of viewing it as a, like, hey, you're not going to do these things and I'm going to do this. I love this. Like I can see this picture of Hosea putting his arm around Gomer and just saying, hey, from now on, you don't need other men. You, you don't have to play the harlot. You, you don't have to chase these men and their promises. All you need is me because all I want is you. And that's how God comes to us, is he offers us mutual commitment. What he offers us is relationship. He pursues us for the purpose of, of eternal relationship where our sins are cast away, where we are healed, where we are restored, and where there's a mutual commitment. Our last take-home truth is God pursues the unworthy to pull them into eternal relationship. I ask you this morning to compare your heart to God's. And right here in the Bible, that is God's heart. It's to pursue people into eternal relationship with Him. And so when I look in the mirror and I say, my sin makes me unworthy, when I say, my sin hurts me, when I say, I don't deserve love, what the Bible says is my God pursues me because He wants me forever. Real quick, one more story. In Luke 15, Jesus is talking. And he's eating with a bunch of, the Bible says, tax collectors and sinners. This is the low lives of society. And he's eating with them and he's celebrating with them and he's loving them. And religious elites come to Jesus and they say, why are you eating with those kind of people? If you were holy, you wouldn't be anywhere close to them. And you know what Jesus says? He says, let me tell you a story. He said, imagine there's a shepherd who has a herd of a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep's, Sheeps, sheep, sheep, sheep. Well, one of those critters runs away. He wanders off. You know why sheep wander off? It's because they're grazing. They, they put their head down and they just chase more and more and more and more until they look up and they realize they're in trouble. Doesn't that sound like sin? 
where I just chase a little bit more. I try to fill myself up a little bit more with sin until I look up and I'm in trouble. And Jesus says in this story, he says, everybody knows, everybody knows that even though that shepherd still has 99 sheep, he is going to turn around and he is going to go pursue the one sheep that has ran away from him. And as he pursues him, as he pursues the sheep that has wandered, he finds him and he calls his neighbors and he celebrates. He says, I found what I lost. And this is what Jesus says. He says, that's what it's like for me to chase wandering sinners is I pursue my sheep and I celebrate when they come back to me. So there's a couple different ways that you might apply this, actually multiple different ways. One of them is if you're sitting here and you're asking, is it time for me to put my trust in Jesus? Is it time for me to accept his, uh, his rescue? The answer is yes. He is pursuing you. And when you accept him, we will rejoice here, but even heaven will rejoice. That came straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And if today is that day, I want to encourage you, quit running from him. Accept, accept his rescue. But maybe that doesn't apply to you because you've already been found. And I want to ask you in that case is, do you love what he loves? Do you run to action where he ran to action? Do you pursue the broken like he did? And, and if you don't, if you don't, that's what we call sin when we don't have the heart of God. Today, I'm not going to tell you what it looks like for you to have the heart of God and to partner with him in pursuing the lost and the broken. Maybe it looks like money in that envelope. I don't know. I'm not going to command that you do that. Maybe for some of us, it looks like I've got to quit hiding my faith at work and pursue my coworkers or my nieces and my nephews or my friends. I've got to start pursuing them the way that God pursued them. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's time to stop messing around and get my kids in a place where they're going to be poured into and where they can intersect with Jesus Christ, where maybe they can come to know him like I do. Whatever it is, I don't know, and nobody here is judging you. I just ask that you do what God has asked you to do. This is our response time, and it's, it's just a time for you to pray. If you want me to pray with you, I would love to tell you what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to pray with you about anything, but don't leave here the same way that you walked in. Please stand.